Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to our live in the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and joining me is my co-host, David Blackman, and the editor of Show Magazine. And our guest today is Jason Modulin, who is the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. We do have open lines for your calls. Uh, if you want to talk about oil, gas, or the energy industry, and all the craziness that's happening when we talk about that, please feel free to call 210 210- 308-8867, or you can call our toll-free number, 866-308-8867. Uh, or you're welcome to email me uh, your questions. Uh, you can do it via Facebook on our In the Wool Patch uh, page, or you can email me at kim at shellmag.com, and we're monitoring the emails uh, on our live show. <clears throat> now, before I bring on David and Jason, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Shell Magazine, which sponsors the show. Uh, it has great articles in in the issue and we are getting ready to release a new issue so if you want to go online and look and see who uh, is the next issue whose cover of the next issue and or past issues please feel free to visit shellmag.com again that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com and i'd like to also give you an update on our state of energy 2020 in houston it is scheduled for april 24 First, it's on a Thursday, and it begins at 1130 in beautiful Houston, Texas at the Houston Club, which is downtown in the Shell Building. And our keynote speaker this year is uh, the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian. Uh, we've had him on the show in the past. <clears throat> He's really a great speaker and has a lot of insightful information and regulatory updates on what's happening at the Railroad Commission, as well as our panelists uh, to include Mike Howard, the CEO of Howard Energy, Phil Anderson, who is Senior Vice President of Liquid Pipeline for Enbridge, and Bruce Fullenweider, who is with Argus Media, will give us an update on some crude pricing that they've been working on and the importance of crude pricing. Our moderator for the luncheon will be Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi. Tickets are still available, but more than uh, not, it's pretty much sold out. So you definitely want to go to shellmag.com, Ticket Leap, State of Energy. And now I'd like to welcome on my guest, uh, Jason Modlin and David Blackman. Guys, welcome to our live show. Jason? Hey. <laughs> David? Hey, Kim. Hey, hey, David. Thanks very much for having me. Well, you know, we, David and I look forward to our partnership with the Alliance because uh, once a month we do have a live show to encourage our listeners uh, to call in and join the topic and uh, talk about energy. And a lot of the emails, Jason, that we get really have complemented the show in many ways, mostly, though, how we have managed to start changing perception. Uh, David, you, you're aware of this. We've been contacted from other talk show hosts to jump on their show to talk to them as well, to their audience, because there's now so much of a of an awareness for how important energy is and how it affects everyone's life. And your partnership and coming on the show to help everybody understand uh, the topic of energy, encouraging them to call in is important, and so we do appreciate it. 
Uh, right, absolutely. And y'all are pioneers in that in that space. And so thank you very much for continuing to lead on it. Um, it is so important, particularly right now when we have a lot of energy misinformation uh, to really try to get the facts out there and answer people's questions. Right. And I think you hit the, the nail on the head when you said misinformation and disinformation. And I think it's very much uh, that this is an intentional thing that that is happening, and, and we're going to get into it in the show. We're, this show, I want to talk a lot about what's happening in D.C. politics and how it's affecting the consumers. Before we get started, though, Jason, quickly, the Alliance, um, it's been around for many, many years, and what's its mission designed to do? Absolutely. So the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has been around for 92 years now, um, uh, serving parts of Texas uh, all over, but largely independent producers, family-run businesses, smaller oil and gas businesses. uh, And we really want to see them strive and and last for another 92 years. Uh, And so we help them with communications. We help them with some governmental affairs. And then we also try to go out and, and use kind of bulk purchasing uh, with with having several thousand members uh, to try to get them some lower cost business solutions. So um, uh, it's, a, it's a remarkable organization that I've been uh, uh, part of for now two years. It's a it's a great organization. You guys are doing a good job. Let's jump into some questions. Um, you know, this week we um, I know you guys have been paying great attention to the congressional hearings that are being held by two House committees. Uh, during which Democrats criticized the big oil executives uh, for somehow creating these high uh, prices at the gas pump. And, uh, you know, David and I, we, we talk about this a lot on, on other shows that we do of, you know, what's really behind this and, and this party. But I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to talk on behalf of the alliance. What is your... Uh, position on this and 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 ultimately are they truly responsible for uh the oil and gas prices at the pump and and the pricing on them and how can the energy industry industry be responsible for this when they don't make (laughs) regulations and set uh permits or 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 don't approve permits that's right so uh the the congressional hearing this week was largely focused on producers um and and most of the producers at the table are price takers in in the sense that uh they are trying to produce as much as they can uh but it's at a price that the market dictates and so that's really the the challenge for producers right now is that we have we truly have a supply and demand problem. We have uh, global demand that has risen um, uh, now that we are, for the most part, have come out of COVID, although you still see some parts of China still battling it. Um, But global supply has not risen back to where it was uh, two short years ago. Here in the United States, we still see a lag from where we were at the start of 2020. Uh, We're we're about at 11.8 million barrels a day. Uh, that's that's down from about 13 million barrels a day. Uh, coincidentally enough, here in Texas, uh, we're nearly back to, to full production. Uh, the Permian Basin has already uh, set new production records, um, and Texas will likely set new production records uh, later this year uh, with our current trajectory. Um, but that still leaves the rest of the United States uh, down quite a bit. And, and unfortunately, uh, when gas prices are high, uh, Congress looks to uh, shift the blame. Uh, and so that's what we've seen. Um, and uh, it, it, it's nothing new. These hearings have been going on for some uh, 100 years. Uh, it's just different uh, flavor of the day. 
Right. Jason, in, in all those 100 years and all the allegations of price fixing and price gouging, has, uh, has uh, the, the U.S. Department of Justice ever, I mean, I know in my lifetime, I don't believe there's ever been a case brought by the Justice Department against uh, the oil and gas industry for price gouging and in any convictions whatsoever related to yeah, that. Is that right? Certainly not. Uh, no, uh, not price gouging and not really across the industry as a whole. Um, yeah. uh, as they do launch these investigations, sometimes you do see uh, um, uh, the, these retailers um, right. uh, be investigated and, and sometimes there are charges brought. But um, uh, here in Texas, we're, we're, we're kind of blessed with having a lot of big retailers that sell gas, whether it's Walmart, H-E-B, or Bucky's, uh, and most of the time they're pricing gas at or below cost. Right. So it's really it's really a value for Texans. Um, uh, but then you go to other states where they tack on 50, 60, 75 cents of taxes onto the gallon of gas. Um, <laughs> yeah, California. And, and, and California, Washington, uh, right. and parts of the East Coast. And, and so that's really where consumers are paying it. Um, uh, consistently is, is, is in those high taxes. So then, you know, what you both are saying is pretty clear that they probably shouldn't have, should not have had a hearing on the big oil executives and why the prices are so high. They should have looked to the retailers and also themselves because they actually are setting all these regulations in place that are causing this. So it could have been like the state of California, David, like you said, that adds on a lot of extra taxes. Um, and our federal government certainly is probably not going to take responsibility for uh, not permitting uh or allowing permits to go through or executive orders through the Keystone Pipeline. Right. I I think you're absolutely right on that. I mean, they they could have uh, pointed fingers at retailers or they could have utilized, I mean, these were powerhouse oil and gas producers and they could have sat there and, and, and been quiet and asked them, what do we need to do? Uh, to really address this situation, and uh, it, it, in my in my estimation, it was a missed opportunity. You, you had uh, a significant amount of talent in that room, and, and they should have uh, uh, listened more than they spoke. Did anything productive actually come out of these hearings? You know, anything I, I, at I all? Think, I think one of the most uh, uh, stark things was just the commitment to get out of Russia. Uh, you really had Shell uh, uh, dic- describe the amount of write down that they were going to have and getting out of Russia. And, and I think that really shows uh, a commitment uh, to address some of these challenges we see. Uh, right. But uh, it, it, it didn't have the big headline that Congress was going to get behind uh, building more pipelines, building oh, more LNG terminals. Of course terminals. not, Jason. Of course not. Because None it's, of that. It's, it's not going to fit the narrative that, 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 that they want at this time. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get on uh, staying with the Democrat Party and the prices at the pump. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210 210- and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And welcome back to our live show. Our guest today is Jason Modulin, who is the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. If you want to call in and join in on the show, the phone number is 210-308-8867. Guys, I want to go to phone line one. We have John San Antonio. John, welcome to End the Old Patch Radio Show. What's your question for us today? Yes. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Oh, thank you. Uh, can you give me an update on gas prices? Do they stay the same, or do you think they will change? Okay. Guys? Well, I'll, ju- I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I, I think gas prices are going to be relatively flat for quite a while. Uh, you, you will see some uh, uptick in demand this summer, and that, and that might put uh, additional strain on gas prices, particularly as you have these western states utilizing some of their summer blends. That, that are a little bit harder to acquire, um, uh, that might push gas prices uh, uh, higher. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't see gas prices going down anytime soon. Uh, really curious, David, what, what your thoughts are on that, particularly as, uh, as Biden is trying to tap into the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Yeah, you know, um, I think that uh, obviously we've seen them go down here over the last 10 days or so. Uh, by a fairly significant amount, what, uh, some 12, 14 cents a gallon. And I think we may have another slight drop this week uh, because the the oil price, crude oil price did drop last week at the end of it's down, what, three or 4% for the week. So I suspect we'll see it drop maybe another dime. Um, but then I'm like you, I, th- I think it flattens out and ultimately the the, the fact that the market really remains undersupplied uh, despite these releases from not just the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but Japan's and, and some other countries as well. Um, and, you know, the only thing I think that can stop it, uh, the gas prices from going up as the year goes on, uh, is China. 
and the, the round of COVID that's going there on there, the lockdowns. I think they have now over 50 million people locked down in one of their provinces trying to prevent the spread of this new variant. And uh, if that results in substantially decreased demand out of China, uh, you could see prices remaining flat pretty much for the uh, you know, uh, rest of the year maybe. But ultimately we have a structural deficit in supply globally because we haven't invested enough since 2015 in, in finding new reserves and that's going to catch up with us at some point. And uh, when it does, uh, prices could go substantially higher than we've already seen this year. And um, that's really distressing thing is just the structural uh, shortage of supply globally and and how these governments ultimately deal with that. Well, I want to go back to John's question, though, because he asked gas prices specifically, and and they're now floating another little balloon out there, a DC balloon about suspending <laughs> gas prices and suspending the federal taxes, the gas tax, the yeah. Gas tax yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. Is that going to have an impact? And and I do want to talk about the the you know strategic petroleum reserve too when we get back from break, because that's another one. <laughs> Everybody yeah. needs to understand what's going on here too. The little you know uh, shuffling that's going on is that going to help at all th- these uh gas taxes suspending them yeah so you, you suspend 18 cents uh, a gallon um uh potentially you you, you save people uh, uh a couple dollars at, at the pump there um but uh it, you, you forego that revenue of course with, with your highway construction um yeah. and, and then ultimately you're, you're going to reinstate it at some point again and so what what ultimately when is that going to occur um and i don't think that uh that's really been clearly articulated you've seen some other states uh take a different tack they're, they're basically giving out cash uh gas cards um and that just leads to uh, unbelievable that, yeah. um that uh, fraud and, and and theft um and, but you know that that that's what they're pursuing so um, ultimately, this is this is exactly what David was mentioning. This is a supply a supply problem, and we need more production to come online uh, in order to to uh, bring some natural balance to this market. Um, and we don't quite see policymakers uh, wrapping their head around that yet. Yeah, and Jason, that that point about uh, you know when you suspend this tax, you know the the gas tax is is how we fund road construction in this country. Uh, the, the rate of tax by the federal government on gasoline has not increased since 1992. And so it hasn't kept up with inflation. And one of the reasons we had to have this massive $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill last year is because we have underfunded road construction in this country for 30 years. And so, yeah, if you want to continue to build up that funding deficit for road construction, that suspend a tax. It doesn't make any sense from a fiscal standpoint. And uh, I frankly don't think Congress will ultimately do it. Well, you know, we're here, we're having hearings going on in DC. And um, they've already tarred and feathered the big oil uh, CEOs. And, you know, I'm wondering about uh, hearings that, that the Democrats, they seem to have this playbook that they always come out dust off according to you know everyone saying that mm-hmm. they'll pull everybody back in and 
on a tar and feather? Who, who's doing this? When, when all along, it's really them and their lack of understanding uh, what they should be doing to help the American people and gas prices. Um, but I want to get back from break on talking about those hearings and, and, and what is, is that such a good uh, investment in time and energy to be trying to villainize, villainize people or oil executives who um, really don't have anything to do with what's happening. It's their policies that they're setting. And I want our listeners to really understand who's at fault here and what kind of games are being played uh, out there in, uh, in, with the media. we got to take a quick break. You're listening to In the World Pet Radio Show, and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. And welcome back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. This is our live show in which uh, my co-host, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, and Jason Modulin, president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, join me for taking questions live on the air. If you're interested in joining our show, you can call 210-308-8867. Hey, Jason, uh, I, I know you have some of the corporate producers uh, in your membership at the Alliance, but... Uh, you also represent, and really most of your membership is made up of these privately held companies, some mom and pops, but also some some pretty sizable privately held companies that uh, are really uh, increasing their drilling this year. Uh, you, you mentioned that Texas is already pretty much back in terms of uh, reaching our pre-COVID levels of, of, of production here in the state. And a lot of that has been driven by those those privately held companies right now. I, I just wanted to give you a chance to kind of talk about why that's happening, why it's different. Uh, being in the business is kind of different right now. The pressures from from uh, external sources are different on on a privately held company than on these big corporate producers. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head that, that there are uh, different factors facing uh, different size companies and whether they're publicly traded or private. Certainly with these high prices, uh, you have always seen producers respond uh, by drilling more wells, by, by up, upping their production um, and, and essentially driving those prices back down to, to appropriate levels. Um, uh, you, you know, the cure is always high prices, high prices, cure high prices. Um, now we have certainly our larger publicly traded uh, companies in, in the United States, uh, much more subject to um, uh, climate considerations, 
to investor pressure uh, to to return profit, to return free cash flow. And so the, the dynamic has changed pretty substantially on Wall Street from where it was. Uh, we want to see your, your proven reserves. We want to see uh, your barrel count per day uh, to now we, we want to see cash uh, come back to shareholders and, and really compensate shareholders. And, and so it was right. an interesting dynamic. Kim led off with with kind of the the, the question about the hearing. Uh, just six months ago, you had a representative out of Silicon Valley talking about what, why can't you be more like your European counterparts and start doing away with your oil and gas production? And then this exact same representative had the exact opposite take this time. Why won't you increase your production uh, in spite of your investors, in spite of uh, Wall Street saying uh, that, that you need to return a profit, that you need to return uh, uh, shareholder value back to back to Wall Street and, and ultimately to the American people. Um, uh, yeah. it's, it's teachers, it's government employees, it's pension funds uh, that are inve- invested in these companies. Um, and so that's really, uh, uh, well, it, it was it was disappointing to see uh, the back and forth in, in D.C. Yeah, and that's that's such a great point, because when you really get down to where the corporate producers are concerned, there's, you know, in a time of high prices, yes, their profits are up. They're more profitable when prices are higher, obviously. So what can they do with those excess profits? Really, there's three things they can do. They can either drill more wells, which the Democrats don't want them to do or at least told them last November they didn't want them to do. They can return profits to their investors, right? Or they can engage in stock buyback plans, programs like some of them are doing. And the Democrats have criticized them in the last six months viciously for doing all three of those things. Well, they have to do something with the money. And and these missed messages that, that they keep getting from Washington are so counterproductive to the business. Well, and I'm going to jump in here because we're going to go to break. And then, Jason, I'm going to have you answer that. But I want to read a, a quote from API's President and CEO, Mike Summers. Instead of managing from crisis to crisis, we should be focusing on promoting policies that avoid emergencies altogether through more production. And America has a history of stepping up and doing it again and again. When we get back from break, Jason, I want you to comment on that, and then I want to try to get back on the hearings. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a proud sponsor of State of Energy 2022 is coming to the Houston Club in downtown Houston on Thursday, April 21st, starting at 1130 a.m. The keynote speaker will be the chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, Wayne Christian, and will feature moderator Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, along with panelists Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy Partners, Phil Anderson, Senior VP of Liquid Pipelines Enbridge, and Bruce Fullen, Vice President of Argus Media. For tickets for the State of Energy Luncheon in Houston on April 21st, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash stateofenergy. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com backslash stateofenergy. Sponsored in part by SR Trident. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and this is our live show. If you'd like to join in, you're welcome to call 210-308-8867. 
Jason, before the break, um, I released a, a quote that came out from API's president and CEO, Mike Summers, talking about um, how come we keep uh, experiencing these energy crises. And, and, it, and it really does seem like, unfortunately, it is the Democrat Party since they have the House and they also uh, have the executive branch. Um, I want you to tell me, what is, alliance, what is the alliance's thought? And then uh, maybe we can move into some more uh, hearings that are happening in D.C. and the outcomes on those. Well, I thought Mike did a really good job of just summarizing that, that we are going from crisis to crisis right now, and we really need a long-range uh, vision and plan for our energy production here in the United States. Uh, you, you had a really good interview several months ago now with Toby Rice of EQT, uh, largely operates out of the uh, Marcellus in Pennsylvania, and he, he called on the president and called on Congress to mobilize the 2 million men and women in the American oil and gas industry to, to, to increase production and meet these challenges. You're going to have a really good speaker here in a couple of weeks with Chairman Wayne Christian. And, and I have no doubt that he's going to talk about uh, World War One and World War Two mm-hmm. and how uh, the United States and particularly Texas uh, rose to meet the challenge uh, of what we were seeing in, in those global conflicts and, and how uh, oil uh, from from uh, first it was uh, uh, West Texas and, and then East Texas uh, met the challenges uh, that we saw overseas. Um, and, and so that's the opportunity right now. It's that we do have the ability uh, to provide clean burning, uh, liquefied natural gas to the world. Uh, we also have the ability to provide oil and, and I'll say coal as well um, to meet our global energy challenges. Um, but uh, we're, we're, we're fighting with uh, some arms tied behind our backs. David, I know, you know, you and I talk a lot on our show about the strategic uh, petroleum reserves. I want you to, to get on that topic because, you know, what Jason is mentioning is World War One, World War Two, and what happened there. And I know you and I go back and forth talking about this. We do. Go, go ahead. Well, I, you, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, Jason, you know, we, we mentioned it earlier in the show, this $180 billion, uh, million, excuse me, not billion. Thank million God it's not the release. billion. <laughs> yeah. So it's a million barrels a day for 180 days and, and from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve which was created in 1973 by a Democratic Congress uh, for use in a national emergency. Uh, is $4 gas, gasoline at the pump, is that a national emergency that we ought to be using the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for, or are there other motives behind this? There are certainly other motives behind it. I, I, I like some of the simplicity in it. Uh, the president recognizes that we are down about a million barrels from where we were in 2020. And so the thought being, let's bump it up uh, from 12 to 13 to get back to where we were. Let's try to use some of our allies as well to increase that production, uh, that daily production, and get it as close to 100 million barrels as possible. Uh, but it, then he gets pretty quiet when he's talking about the next phase, which is right. we need to increase permits. We need to increase pipelines. We really need to get these companies back up and operating. And, and really where we see the lag right now is in 
these states that have really adopted some radical environmental policies that have lessened capital investment in their state, like Colorado, like California. Um, and, and we've also seen offshore production uh, uh, be curtailed. Um, and that's from having uh, uh, leases that haven't gone through, permits that have been dragged and slowed down. Um, and, and so we, we've seen challenges that certainly this administration can overcome. Uh, we've seen previous Democratic administrations overcome them. Um, but uh, uh, we, we've got a lot of rhetoric, rhetoric in the way. A lot. And I want to talk about the Democrats in D.C. right now because they're demanding more oil production. Um, and yet, at the same time, they're also proposing this new windfall profit tax uh, on the on the companies that are producing the oil. So how new is this? How huge is this for the energy industry? And does it help? Well, any new taxes certainly do not help. You had uh, certainly during this last week, a number of congressmen and uh, raise issues of, of doing away with standard deductions uh, as, as part of companies' uh, uh, typical uh, uh, manufacturing here in the United States. That They suggested that the uh, taxes should just go up on these companies. Uh, that's, that's not exactly what you want to hear when you're thinking about investing more in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a, num- a number of global companies sitting up there um, that have certainly taken investments overseas um, because it is attractive to invest there. Uh, and, and frankly, because some of these politicians have encouraged production to go elsewhere. Uh, they don't want to see it here in the United States. And so, um, uh, but anytime you, you raise the prospect of, of higher taxes, uh, that just has a chilling effect on investment um, because it's got to be taken into account. And, uh, and so that's the, that, that is, that is a, a particular challenge that we hope um, is, is more of a sideshow than an actual serious um, conversation about how to increase production here in the United States. You know, and another great point about the windfall profit tax on the oil industry specifically, as I saw a great chart this week, it arrayed the 20 top manufacturing industries in the United States by profit margin, the average profit margin in the industry for 2021. And really, actually, it was an average uh, since 2015, each year since 2015. And among those 20 industries, the, the industry with the third largest or third third least profit margin among the 20 top manufacturing industries in the United States uh, was the oil and gas industry. So you got 16 other industries that have a higher profit margin than the oil and gas business. Yet it's always the oil and gas business that gets singled out. Always. And, and it's just really such a stupid political It game. is. Guys, we got to take a great a quick break when we return we're going to get back on lng and that topic you're listening to in the oil patch radio show we'll be right back The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., 
and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Guys, we have Joe, our uh, amazing fan in the woodlands, calling in. Uh, Joe, are you there? Yes, I haven't blown away yet with all this wind. <laughs> oh, are y'all having a windy day? I'm in San Antonio. Oh, so. it's terrible. Yes, well, it's Joe, what? <laughs> thank you so much for calling in. And what is your question for the guys today? Well, I had been reading that uh, the EU was considering changing the status of natural gas to a green energy source. And, you know, what is the status of that uh, so far? And do you think the United States would change along with that, especially with the Biden administration? Good question. question. That's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Yeah. So that's a a policy uh, proposal that I believe has been tentatively approved. And it's just waiting on final approval by the European Commission that would classify natural gas as a green approved fuel source for green investment purposes. It has to do with the EU's regulation of, of the banking industry in Europe. And uh, yes, I mean, obviously, gas is a green energy source. Come on. And uh, it, it, it just makes sense, particularly in light of the the. The, the crazy uh, energy crisis the continent is facing at the moment, it it's, makes perfect sense, and it's something that I, I'm assuming will get final approval. Jason? Well, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, it Wasn't that in that same proposal where they added uh, missiles and bombs as well as qualifying <laughs> as a green proposal so that uh, banks could, could uh, uh, really pad their, their uh, investments and show how, how green they are and, and how <laughs> compliant they are with some of the ESG uh, uh, goals and mandates? Um, this it, seems it, insane. It, it, it's pretty laughable. I mean, you're absolutely right. As they are shutting down uh, zero carbon uh, energy in, in the form of nuclear, uh, they're relying more and more on wood and heating oil yeah. and uh, the burning and of coal. coal. Yeah. And that is so, so wonderful for the environment sense. compared to natural, oh, you know, it, LNG. It, it's it, crazy. These people are it's nuts. Awful. It's terrible. It is awful. <clears throat> and speaking of that, let, David, I know you had a question on LNG. Let's get to that. Well, yeah, Jason. So, uh President Biden two weeks ago made this commitment on the for the U.S. LNG industry to basically quadruple its deliveries to Europe by the year 2030. Uh, as you just as you said a little bit ago, what he didn't mention uh, was whether or not his administration was going to speed up the process of approving permits for things like pipelines and all the new LNG uh, facilities, export facilities we're going to need uh, in order to meet that commitment. Do, do you think that's uh, a viable commitment for the president to make for our LNG industry? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I hope that they continue to push forward on uh, new permits and new pipelines. We certainly saw some good, positive things happen there 
shortly before he made that commitment, they did green light two new uh, trains uh, out of the Gulf Coast. Um, uh, And then FERC, uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, walked back uh, a rule proposal that they had, which would have um, uh, had really a chilling effect on new investment in LNG. Uh, It also was going to be devastating to building new pipelines into the Northeast. You know, a quick way that we can increase LNG on the global market is simply to build pipelines into New York, uh, because that means that then they stop buying it from the rest of the world and there's more to go around. Um, Now, I I don't know that the president has the ability to dictate to private companies. You can no longer sell uh, to Asia, to Japan. Uh, to parts of the world that, that truly India are, are trying to get more LNG uh, in favor of Europe. Uh, but look, here's a golden opportunity for American producers to meet energy demand around the world. And it's going to happen in some exciting places like Corpus Christi and Houston and other parts of the Texas Gulf Coast, along with Louisiana. Um, so we should take advantage of it. Right. You know, Jason, we've asked a lot of questions today. A lot of them have been sarcastic because it's really tough to try to take this administration's energy policy seriously um, because half the time they say something and there's nothing behind it that tells uh, an operator how to get there or, or how do we do this. And it seems like uh, their policies are one disaster after another. And, and quite frankly, I'm going to say it, his, this administration is a disaster. That's my thoughts. But what can we do to turn this around? I'm assuming you're going to tell us wait till November when hopefully the Republicans retain the House. What are your what What do you think the energy industry can well, do to, to avoid this? I, I think the energy industry is trying very hard uh, to meet this administration where it is, trying to lower emissions, trying to increase production. Uh, what we're focused on in the alliance is trying to eliminate some barriers that we see uh, to increased production. Uh, that kind of starts with steel. Um, and so we've seen uh, certainly tariffs here in the United States lessen the ability for uh, foreign steel to get into the country. We haven't quite seen domestic steel ramp up. Uh, we would love to see our domestic producers increase their steel production. So the administration can focus on things that are not necessarily oil and gas, but will have a direct benefit for oil and gas. Um, And so we're trying to give them some options there to say, even if uh, you're going to continue down this path of beating up on oil and gas, let's focus on critical infrastructure. Let's Mm -hmm. focus on steel. Uh, Let's focus on streamlining some permits and making sure that when companies are ready to build things, that the administration is not dragging its feet or, or, or is just uh, obstinate and, re- and refuses to see capital investment in the United States. Right. Um, you won't see that in the headlines. You won't see that certainly in the, in the rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully we're able to continue to move the ball forward um, because we have a tremendous opportunity in this country uh, if we only reach out and seize it. Right. It's always the oil and gas that saves the day. Jason, real quick, you guys have an upcoming golf tournament. Where's it at and when is it at? That's right, April 25th. April 25th in Wichita Falls. We're playing golf there, uh, a sandbagger scramble there at the Wichita Falls Country Club. And so we're looking forward. Uh, It's really been a long time coming. We we were shut down with COVID and other measures uh, and really haven't been able to get out there and play golf with our members. And so we're excited to get together uh, April 25th in Wichita Falls. 
and certainly more information is available on our website and, uh-huh. and uh, have a few more events over the summer and then really culminating in our September annual conference. We'll be back in Fort Worth at the Hotel Drover. Uh, look forward to having you and David there. Uh, uh, I think like we'll be doing a live and, show yeah. there. Yeah, we'll be doing a show Fantastic. from there for sure. David uh, and Jason, that is all the time that we have. But for more information on your uh golf upcoming golf tournament or to join the alliance they can come to our website and click on a banner ad they can also go to your website they can go to your facebook page and like it and get the information there it's once again jason thank you so much president of the texas alliance of energy producers david thank you also for joining me today on our live show and we look forward to talking to you guys next week In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry.